towards Kittle. And that's K.J. Wright for the second time now. Oh, it's been a couple of plays now by K.J. Wright. From the Seattle 41. KJ has done um, everything for this program. KJ has been, um, you know, the perfect person, perfect teammate. And so, you know, I think whatever he wants to do, uh, they should uh, make sure that happens. Faith to him. it over the top. Uh-uh. That is some play right there. my If you hit me, then I bruise because i got nothing to lose. I can take it that it's just as Bobby and KJ are fantastic football players in our scheme, and they, they know stuff so well that they, they do help others. And sometimes it's not the verbal communication. It could be a pat on the butt to move a guy. It can be just a, you know, you know, a gesture you know, that, that they can make and, and make somebody understand what's going on. And those, those are they're kind of hard to value, but they are there, and they are very, very important. Um, I think it's been special. You know, I think there's there's been a lot of ups, downs, more ups than, than downs. Um, um, you know, just being able to play, you know, majority of our career together has been special. Being able to share the field with him has been special. Um, he's helped me grow as, as not just a football player, but as a man as well. So, you know, we are very fortunate. We understand his business is, is a crazy business. So we don't get to be together, you know, contractually and all those different things for, for a variety of reasons. So, uh, you know, us being able to play this long together and, and have this much success has been a blessing. Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Just the usual fare today. Won't hold up too much with intros. It's myself, Stuart Court, and as ever, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good, I'm good, but let's get on with it. No one needs yeah, to hear about how yeah, I yeah, am. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, because <laughs> there's also a former fourth-round pick, a 10-year NFL vet, all of them so far with the Seahawks, a 2020 Steve Largent Award winner, and one of the franchise's all-time greats from Mississippi State to a staple in Seattle. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast, KJ Wright. What's up, fellas? So glad to have, you know to be here. This is my first international podcast, so <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, well, you've, done, you've done ESPN and Sirius, and now it's time to get serious. You know, with real <laughs> journalists like me and Stu. I'm with it. I'm with it. A, a caterer and a supermarket and worker and a, a stadium announcer. So yeah, this is serious now. Yeah, let's well, do it. I mean, variety is important, I guess, isn't it? At the minute. Um, <laughs> So that's what we do appreciate you taking the time. You've been in the league a while now. It's six six weeks or so since the uh, Seahawks season ended. How how do you approach off seasons differently in twenty twenty one to what like rookie or second third year KJ Wright would have or, or did? Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Um, if it was you know my rookie year or or second year. I would have been in the gym two weeks after the season, just getting back at it. But, um, you know, I've, I've learned over the years, your body definitely needs to rest. And so 
I've been enjoying myself. I haven't picked up a weight <laughs> since the season ended. Um, me and my family took a trip out to Mexico to get some sunshine. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just enjoying myself right now. So it's night and day how I approach when the season ends. Yeah. As back in 2011, you were, as I said, fourth round pick. Lofa Tatupa had left. Leroy Hill, though, was still there in the yeah. linebacker room. But it was a pretty young defense. Obviously, you enter the league with. Richard Sherman, Malcolm Smith, mm-hmm. Cam and Earl were in their second year. How important was someone like Leroy Hill in that locker room and especially being a linebacker next to you on the field and on the practice field? Yeah, I mean, Leroy is my guy, man. He's really, he was there in Seattle, I think it's like on his sixth, seventh year. So he was a guy that experienced a lot of football, a lot of success. And um, him and Lofa was part of that Super Bowl team that yeah. that played the Steelers. And, um, yeah, so, you know, he was um, going to Super Bowls. And so those two guys are, you know, important in my life. I still talk to Lofa to this day, man. And so two guys I really looked up to. And then I saw how they treated me coming in as a rookie. And so I was like, okay, you know, guys are just walking me with open arms. So when I become a vet, I got to do the same thing. And so it's cool this, how it all works out. Yeah. Adam? I've got a friend that's trying to get into the NFL and he said to me, do you know who the best five teams are? And I was saying, well, you don't because then there's a draft and then then you kind of yeah. see. And actually going from 2011, a solid team. And then 2012 comes in, Russ comes in the team, Bobby comes in the team. Is there a feeling in the locker room of like, okay, this is serious now because you've added some pieces that like, is there a moment or does it just happen sort of organically as you go through the weeks? Well, when 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 Bobby and and Russ came, you didn't know like all right, we just drafted guys. The moment that I knew that this team was going to be good was when we um, lost in the playoffs to mm-hmm. who do we lose to? Who do we lose to in the second year? Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I knew watching that season like because we was rolling like you know these young guys coming in. Russ was just putting up forty plus points a game, and we were just blowing teams out. I was like, okay, we got something good going on here. And then we beat the Redskins in the, the playoffs and lost Atlanta. And um, so I knew after that season, okay, this team is for real. So we had all our pieces together. No one really left the, the team after that year. I said, okay, next year, you know, I think we'll be pretty good. So that's what, that's that was my personal moment when I figured it out. And is there a moment in – practice where you're seeing these unbelievable players like Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, all, all these incredible guys. Uh, and in soccer here, you always hear players say, oh my God, you should see what this guy does in training and practice. Is there a moment in practice training where you just think, oh my goodness, this guy is just another level? Yeah, well, I, we use Russ, for example, because uh, remember guys, the the year Russell came here, we had Matt Flynn as our quarterback, mm-hmm. sign his big contract, supposed to be the future. Okay. So Russ comes in as a rookie and everybody's looking around like this rookie is way better than the guy that the Seahawks paid. Cause you just see like his consistency, his, you know, his speed when, you know, as a rookie, like this dude's going to be really good. And so there's not just a single moment, but as you could progress throughout training camp and OTAs, you know, the guys just gravitated to him. It's like, we want these guys our quarterback. And so he just took off and never looked back. How how quickly did that happen with you and Bobby? Because obviously, ten years on, you still you two are still the linchpins. You were a massive part of the defense this year. Uh, again, all the way mm-hmm. through, they were like, "It's like KJ's there, Bobby's there." How how immediate was that with Bobby, yeah. and how has that progressed over the? See, me and me and Bobby got two different like I guess success stories. When I came in, the way that I was able to become a starter was. 
um, someone got hurt in front of me. Um, David Hawthorne got got injured during training camp. So just looking around, it's like, KJ, go to Mike Becker. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I, I can do that. And so um, went to Mike Becker, and then Huda came back. And then I did really well, and so they saw how well I did, and then moved me to the sound position. And so I just took over that for the whole, you know, two years. And the way Bobby was, Bobby was drafted high in the draft, so they said, hey, you're our guy. And they put Bobby right in the starting lineup um, as soon as he came in as a rookie. And um, he hasn't looked back ever since. And so each guy has their different stories. Like Richard Sherman, for example, he didn't play until like midway through the season because it was like two injuries had to happen for Sherman to get his spot. And so everybody's story is different, but that's, that's just how, you know, I three played out. What, it, what was not playing rookie Richard Sherman like, like Monday to Saturday? Because <laughs> like, like as soon as he jumped on the field, he was yeah. intercepting uh, Andy Dalton with AJ Green. What was not playing rookie Sherman like? Sherman was good. Sherman was good, <laughs> but, also, but also the guys in front of Sherman was good too. It was um, Marcus Trufant. And I believe it was Walter Thurman, if I'm not mistaken. So the guys in front of him were just just as good as Sherman. And you know, Sherman's picking off stuff in practice. And but when he got out there in the game, yeah, yeah, you guys got a good memory. Just <laughs> man, picking off. Um, it was going against AJ Green. That was like his first like coming out moment. And um, Sherman has also hasn't looked back since. And just to see guys in practice, because you know we preach practice is everything in Seattle. And you, you earn your, your stripes in practice, and when it comes to game time, it'll transition over. Was that just the perfect sweet spot, that 2013 team of the perfect mixture of young, hungry guys, some vets that on you know shorter deals that had come in that to, to plug the holes that might be, the, the Cliff Averill? Did you yeah. guys, and you guys are supremely confident guys. We know that. We've all seen the America's team and stuff like that. Deep down, did you kind of know this was it was only ending one way that season? Yeah, it was like you said, it was a perfect blend of young guys just still under their like rookie contracts, like Earl and Cam still on the rookie contracts. And then you bring in two vets like um, Mike B and Cliff that just brought a whole new personality, whole new dynamic. And we just, you know, gelled really well together. It was a lot of guys that had a lot to prove, a lot of guys that loved each other, a lot of guys that just wanted to be great. And I'm telling you, man, on that football field, if you wasn't on your A game, you're not making any plays. <laughs> and so we all had to be on our A game to just hang with the rest of the guys. You're going to get left behind. Yeah. In in 2013, we've asked, on obviously Super Bowl 48, we asked Cliff and we had Michael Robinson on a few years ago. We asked him this question, and what, what part of the, like the game prep in that lead up to that Super Bowl did they know that the Seahawks were winning that game and you were leaving New York with uh, a new bit of jewellery? Um, they pretty much gave the yeah. same answer Tuesday, Wednesday. Is that Was that the same for you in the linebacker what, room with Bobby? What, what did they say? They said like Tuesday, Wednesday of the first week. They were spot on. I, I knew when we, <laughs> when we watched him, I was watching film and I was like, you know, is this the you know this the offense that people are saying will be hard to stop? Because you know, <laughs> ton of respect for Payman and all time legend. But what I was seeing on film was more bad defense than anything. And I saw a lot of guys just playing really unsound defense. I was like, guys, if we just play really good sound defense and play like we know we could play, this game does not have to be close. And so um, we went out there and forty eight to six, no forty eight to eight, yeah forty eight to eight and. You know, the rest is history. Just to jump away from chronology a little bit, there isn't a sport, I don't think, that 
that stuff you study on tape happens on the field, anything like in American football. Can you talk us through a play whereby you've studied this on tape? And I'm not asking for X's and O's. You don't need to give away the playbook or anything, <laughs> but is there a play that's in your mind? Like for me, I think about your sack of uh, Kyler Murray this year. Um, is there a play that you can think like from the huddle to the signals, what you're looking at that you've seen, okay, I've studied this. This is what's going to happen. This is what I'm looking at to the execution. Cause nothing fascinates me more than what you guys are actually seeing at hundred miles an hour. Yeah. I gave you a prime example. This is not my play in particular, but this was Richard Sherman's play. He was playing the um, Houston Texans like 2013, 2014. And they ran the same play on short yards. It'd be third and one. And they was guys, they're going to bootleg out to their right. And we're going to call this defense when we get in this situation. And so we're playing in the game, going, going at the fourth quarter comes, it's 31. Ball was on our right hash and everybody in the stadium, well, not everybody said it, but everybody on the defense knew what play was about to get called. And on this particular play, Sherman would be in the flat area because the quarterback would throw it out there and Cam would blitz off the edge. And so perfect play. They ran the play we knew they was going to run. Cam blitz off the edge. Sherman's in there, got through it, pick six. So teams give away what they're going to do by film study and by preparation. You can you can attack stuff like that. Yeah, in that game, in that season, like the score, it was a pretty like the scoreboard was slanting in your favor. When things like that, moments like that happen, and when you come out with a win, as you did in that Houston game, that surely must be like as you like. It's in line with what you're thinking of how this that season's going to end, doesn't it? Like you kind of, if we can do oh, this, oh, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Oh yeah, no doubt. When you have those moments, those are like pivotal moments and going to the Super Bowl. Like, because think about it, if we didn't, if Trump didn't make that play, who knows? We couldn't have gotten home field advantage in the playoffs, or you know, we could have been a wild card team because mm -hmm. you know, San Fran was pretty dang good too. And so it was just those pivotal moments that we made throughout the, that season that just uh, propelled us to get the, get a bye week and then get home field advantage. Yeah, on, on that Kyler play, I mean, I think we talked about it a few times in this pod, Adam. It's one of my favorite plays from the season because it was just, it's insane to watch from someone like a mere mortal as my, myself and Adam are. How, like, <laughs> and I think, I think Bobby this year gave you a moniker for, how good you are on the in the screen game and defend defending at screens. How how easy was that for you to get a feel for it? And that we can just see a play in pre snap and just know right. I'm going to go downhill here and shoot everything yeah, off that I mean, do. Yeah, I've, I've really just been blessed with really good instincts. You know, it's it's it's, it's really God given. And plus, on film study with that Colin Mary play that you guys talked about, um, we called a defense. It was another short yardage play. And Carlos Dunlap, I credit Carlos Dunlap for me making that tackle. He was like, when Colin Murray gets in this position, he always likes to stutter and then take off running. And so he said, when you get in the open field with Colin Murray, you better attack him this way. I said, bro, I saw the same thing. And so I kid you not, <laughs> Colin Murray keeps the ball on the quarterback. And I was like, okay, by film study, he should do this. And so I took the proper, the proper um, angle and um, made the play. So, we all work together, man. It's just, it's a beautiful story. Football is the ultimate team sport. And, you know, I give a lot of that, that credit to, to Dunlap. That's amazing. When you, when, you, when you see something and committing to it like that, when maybe your instincts tell you to do something else, how do you coach yourself? Is it something that starts at, you know, Pop Warner football all the way through to trust your instincts and trust what you see as opposed to taking what, like, what us idiots would do and just ways definitely not going there? Well, you know, you know, fellas, early in my career, like, 
I was sometimes hesitant. Coach Norman would tell this story all the time, how we was playing the St. Louis Rams. They, they was killing us my rookie year, and I wouldn't run through the gap. And for whatever reason, I was just trying to be perfectly and fit things up. And then I finally just ran through and just trusted it. And then, okay, I said, you just got to – football is not a perfect game. Sometimes you just got to go, and whatever happens will happen. And so I used to always try to be this person that would try to fit things up properly, but I had to get that out of my game. And that's why you see the plays that you know I make now because you just got to let it loose, but it got to be calculated risk as well. Uh, just quickly back to 2013 Super Bowl 48. Obviously, after Percy's kickoff return, which is, as we said before in this pub, my favorite, one of my favorite sporting moments of teams I've watched. Did the scoreboard in that second half kind of, kind of allow, or did you allow yourself because of the scoreboard to kind of savor the moments as they kind of envelope you in the game wrapped up and you were getting your hands on that trophy? Yeah, um, that moment, no, not when he scored. I mean, obviously, that was that was a beautiful moment. We all knew at halftime, Percy was going to score, but the game, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that far. Like, it was a score. We was probably up by three 29, touchdowns. Maybe. 29, I think it was. Mm. Yeah, that's that's not far enough to, to say you got the game won. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I didn't really just let it soak in until it was like, until the, until the second string guys went. I was like, okay, well, we got this game won. <laughs> and so, um, fucking Coach Carroll on the sideline, that, that was pretty cool. And so, you never want to get too ahead of yourself, but when the second string guys went in, that's when I knew, okay, this game's over. <laughs> also, do, you, uh, do you prefer a time where you can enjoy it like that? Or did you kind of like perversely enjoy the championship game a bit more when you can win it in the last second? You know, um, it's, it's funny, like watching all those Super Bowl games, how it comes down to the wire, you know, those is games that we all love and live for. But when you're like a fan, and when you're a player, like blowout games are a okay. You know, you can sit back and relax and don't got to be stressed. And um, you know, I, I didn't get too many of those moments this year. I, we only blew out the Jets, I believe. But when you do blowout teams, that's just as good as a you know a tight tight knit game. So I prefer I prefer blowout wins. Also, a, f a few weeks ago on Super Bowl, Cliff Favell said on TV coverage over here that he thought the MVP that year should have been. Uh, sp spliced up to every defensive player on the Seahawks. Is that something that you, you agree with? Or I, I definitely agree with. And, um, <laughs> you know, we were we were amazing, man. I, I can't wait to like like we know how good we were, but we won't really truly appreciate it to like ten years down the line when we actually look at the resume we put together. Look how teams are just you know kind of intimidated of us. You know, I believe that when you talk about the '85 Bears, the the steel curtain of, of the of the Steelers, you know, you definitely got to talk about the Seattle Seahawks as being the top five greatest defenses ever. When you did it for years, I mean, I'm just thinking in my head that I don't know why I remember this, but against the Cardinals, I think on the last game of the a couple of seasons later, I think the backups were in and we we blew them out. It was the year that Arizona were really good, but you guys were celebrating like crazy on the sideline because I think you just had your third or fourth year in a row of the best scoring defense. Um, and I don't know why I'm remembering that, but I think it's just the motivation. Is it, it's an iron sharp and iron thing, but is that something that comes from the coaches or is it, you know, you want to do so well for the man next to you or a collective effort that makes you want to be great at all times? It's definitely a collective effort. Coach Carroll always preaches compete. He always, he always preaches finishing. And so that's the culture in that building. That, that, that building has a culture of you got to be the best 
version of yourself if you want to step on this football field. And then when you add that element of guys, you bring in guys that gel really well together. Guys that have a similar background story, like like I was undrafted. I mean, I was in a, I was a late round guy. Quandre Diggs was, um, you know, he was a mid round guy. Um, Michael Bennett went un- undrafted. So you gel those guys together, and it's like we can be really special because we we love each other, we care about each other, and so when you mix coaching and players buying into it, you can do beautiful things. Yeah, uh, one one of those coaches, Ken Norton, was your linebacker coach and now obviously he's defensive coordinator like he took some pouters during the season Lofa when we had him on a few weeks ago talked unbelievably glowingly when he played for him at USC um, like it, what, what was the building like what was the feeling that building like the defensive room when you I'm sure I'm sure you pick up on the whispers and the crit- yeah. criticism he was getting because like his coaching career and his playing career, and his obviously his bloodline as well, is is pretty much a match. Is Ken Norton Jr. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean to have you know Coach Norton. That's my that's my guy, and um, took me in as a rookie. And when he left to go to Oakland, I was just devastated. But when he came back, I was like, "Thank you. This is <laughs> like everything we dreamed about." And for him to come in, you know, be successful. We've been in the playoffs each time he's been here. And, um, yeah, we was definitely struggling early in the season, but his leadership and his, you know, he puts in a crazy amount of hours to make sure that this defense is successful. And we definitely figured it out, man. We definitely figured out how to um, play really good, play better defense. And just just his leadership and just his, uh, you know, unrelentless work ethic, we got it done. Yeah, Adam? There's obviously a flip side to the just incredible greatness that you guys had. And there was obviously just a horrific moment in Arizona. And uh, with the Super Bowl comes around, all everyone wants to talk about is what happened with Malcolm Butler in 49. And I think everyone's talked that to death <laughs> enough. But it was interesting. I, I read Cam Chancellor's article in, in the Players' Tribune about you know how the team reacted. And I think you mentioned that on a podcast recently about the reaction and trying to get over it. And I was I was thinking that you guys were all supremely strong, powerful people, and your, your personality lended itself to we'll throw something at us and we'll throw it back twice as hard. In hindsight, in this, I don't really know how to explain this. Would you guys maybe have been better off sort of owning it and discussing it as the season went on and using it as a vulnerability as opposed to trying to bury it, which I, I just don't see how it's possible to bury something like that. Like the fans still talk about it today. Same as Atlanta. Like, I feel like you guys are such a strong group of characters that you could have taken it as motivation. Like, yeah, that, that happened to us and we're going to throw it right back in your face and come back. Um, I agree 100% with you. It was, um, you know, that that moment still resonates, you know, it still sits with me to this day. And it hasn't been, it hasn't been gotten over. It hasn't been gotten over because it hasn't been, collectively talked about as a, as a team. And um, it's pretty unfortunate that that carried over us because it carried over us for so many years. And so it was something that very unfortunate, very shocking. And um, no, I guess no one at the time really knew how to handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, no one knew what, what to do, what to say, but um, you know, hindsight looking back at it, we definitely should have opened the floor for a conversation, but you know, it didn't get done. And, no, that's that's unfortunate. Did, did has anything changed in the? Obviously, you're still in Seattle. You still played in the Pete Carroll for six, seven years since then. Hopefully, a few more as well. But did anything change with you, yours and Bobby's and players who were still there? Were still there for a few years after. Did anything change in that 
dynamic with you and Pete and the guys who made that decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, we definitely like now 2020, uh, 2021 doesn't get talked about anymore. It's that, that same feeling is not in the locker room. It took about three, four years to like actually kind of get over it and like in the locker room. But right now, you know, we, we've definitely moved past it as a team. And now this unit that we have is, you know, it's gotten over it, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, in, in that in those few years, Sherman left, Earl Thomas left, Cam and Cliff had to retire, uh, Mike Bennett left, and then you've got like the new wave with Quandre, uh, you've got Jamal, and then obviously Carlos Dunlap joined the party midway through this season. Well, and all, But all the while, you were in the heart of everything. You Did you like ascend yeah. to more of a leadership role when the Shermans had gone, or mm-hmm. was that something you were already in before? Yeah, I already had I already had the leadership before, but when when voices leave, you know, more voices need to step up and and show guys, you know, how it's done. And I, I know I had no problem with that. You know, when we was going through our problems this this season, I, you know, I had to stand up like, hey guys, we're not getting it done. Let's tighten this up. And so it all comes natural. You know, me and Bobby, we work extremely well together. There's some moments he'd be like, hey, man, you, you talk to the fellas. And I'd be like, you know, I don't want to talk to them. You talk to them. <laughs> so we definitely, um, you know, we're yin and yanging off each other. And so it works out. It works out really well. Is it, is it any what, is there any differences between playing with the Jamal and Quandre than it was playing with Earl? And Cam behind you. Is there any differences to that? Or is it just picking up the trust? Uh, uh, well, each guy is like extremely different, like personality wise. But like when it comes down to the field, like we, the chemistry is is, is amazing. And so they all four are extremely different guys. Like each Cam had his own skill set. Jamal brings a completely different skill set, but it's all really special and really successful. And so, you know, I love, you know, all four of those dudes and enjoy playing with them. And so it's, it's been fun since day one. Yeah. Um, Com- comparison is obviously like the ultimate flattery. And the guy, the standard you guys set in 2012, 13 onwards is, is, is the pinnacle, right? So every time a running back comes into the roster, there's beast mode comparisons. Can he do what, you know, Marshall Lynch? <laughs> every time there's a cornerback drafted, it's can he do what Richard Sherman yeah. did? A safety, can he be like Cam Chancellor? And I'm thinking that you and Bobby have probably been the best position group in the NFL for close to a decade. Uh, I, I don't think I'm overhyping it too much when I think of, I don't think anyone has had that level of performance for 10 years in a three-year career like it normally is. That's incredible. Do you guys think about the legacy of the position and like, yeah. you know, that guy's the next KJ Wright? Because right now we can't say that because you're still here, thankfully. But is that something you guys yeah. talk about and think about going forward with the BBK and Cody Barton? Yeah, I mean, I believe with me and Bobby, like what we've done has been, you know, unreal. We both should definitely, when it's all said and done, Bobby being Hall of Fame, I should be in the Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. But what we've done, like leadership-wise, what we've done playmaking-wise has been truly special. And, um, you know, you see teams, they started, like, when teams started copying our defense, they tried to find guys like who's going to be like the Bobby of the defense, who's going to be like the KJ of, of the defense. Like when Dan Quinn went to Atlanta and um, Gus Bradley went to Jacksonville, I believe they tried to find that same style. And so, you know, we've definitely set a great standard. And when it's all, you know, said and done and we're done playing, you know, the Seahawks got some big shoes to fill at linebacker. Yeah. One of those guys is entering his second year. What do, obviously, you, you saw him in the building from rookie walking into rookie leaving the building six, seven weeks ago. What do the Seahawks have 
alongside you, hopefully, in Jordan Brooks in a linebacker because he, he seemed to ascend as the defence ascended his playing time and his impact on the field did with that too, didn't it? Yeah, um, early in the season, me and Brooks were um, splitting time and you could definitely see that throughout the season, he started figuring it out. He started getting more comfortable, started taking his shots, started celebrating when he made plays. And so he's a guy that definitely has all like the tools to be successful. He got the speed, got the size, got the hidden power. And so once he just, I believe once he puts together a full off season of understanding the defense, understanding his role and, and what he's going to do, then, you know, the sky's the limit for him. So next year should be even better. Yeah, Adam. It's obviously the ultimate team sport because there can't be any weak links, but you literally saw a guy drafted with a view to kind of taking your position one day, if, we, if we're being honest. Um, mm-hmm. How hard is it to be the best teammate and do the best for the team when actually that could see you, you know, not getting as much tape and impacting your future that, that you want to keep playing in? Yeah, I mean, when the Seahawks drafted um, a linebacker first round, I honestly wasn't surprised. I was coming to my 10th year, contract year, had my shoulder surgery. And so you got to understand, it's hard, but you got to understand that the organization is doing what they think is best for the organization. And you got to do your very best to keep your feelings out of it. And so my biggest concern was, you know, will I even be on the team? Will I be in my same position? So that's what I wanted to get understanding on. But at the end of the day, like, he's coming in. He's going to need some help. He's going to need somebody to show him the ropes. And just, you know, you hear about some guys just shunning guys off, like, I'm not here to help you. You know, you're on your own. You know, my, my vets didn't treat me that way. And so you got to show guys how it's supposed to be done. This is a circle of life. You know, football is a, is a turnover league. And so there's no point in just not helping guys because, you know, if he wants, if he's going to play, he's going to play anyway. So you might as well make the team better versus just being selfish. Yeah. Uh, so obviously this year, this season, last season was different with everything going on in the world. What kind of impact did you, did you feel not having Seahawks fans? Obviously I think you only played, did you only play one game with fans in the stadium? This two, year? Uh, two. It's Miami and oh, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what, what, what was that like playing at Central Link Field? To pretty much you could hear every breath taken, I guess, can you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you come out the hunt, when you come out the tunnel, you know, come out the tunnel. I used to always look up in the stands and just see just blue and green everywhere, and that was like one of my pregame rituals and favorite part of the day. But that was non-existent this year, and it, it, it sucked. It definitely sucked. But when you do get the, out there on the football field, and once the ball is is hiked, you know. I got to worry about this person that's in front of me. And so they, they tried to point, uh, pump in the noise to make it seem, you know, as real as it could, but it definitely wasn't the same. But at the end of the day, when we were playing football, you know, that's when we were like, I, nothing else matters but this person. So we definitely did do Mr. 12s and hopefully next year, you know, we, we get some fans in the stands. Yeah. Adam? You mentioned circle of life when it comes to, you know, people coming in and whatever, but you've, in a way, your last 12 months have been a reverse of what you'd expect. You're now sitting here with people talking about you rightly as a top 10 linebacker and, you know, the, the contract that you're going to be due. Whereas last year, I feel like a lot of people were flippantly saying, oh, well, you know, you, you just cut KJ because that's $8 million in cap space. And to be honest, we probably said that on this podcast because we would, you know, just trying to talk about what's going on and, you know, how does it work and do, is that what you do? And yeah. it's, it's made me think more about how you have to talk about these things and, and treat these things. But 
in a way, the year you had, it's kind of, you, you've almost Benjamin Button the last year and you're now in a position where you'd expect going into year nine versus year 10 as opposed to the other way around. Is there a feeling of immense satisfaction about what you achieved last year and how that's going to set you up for the next few years? Because this time last year, it, it kind of felt a bit dicier for, for the rest of, of where you were going. Yeah, I mean, by what you just said, you know, it just it just re-angered me because mm-hmm. I I heard all that chatter all off season. Cut KJ, you know, we don't need him. He's old. Uh, we got a first round linebacker. Um, you know, let's get him out of here. And that stuff really pissed me off. <laughs> I can't lie. I was I was I was livid. And so I took I took that chatter and put it into my craft if that makes sense i took that and put that in, into into my mind like i'm going to make every single person eat their words and they better not ever speak ill on my name again <laughs> you know <laughs> I, was, I was i was that upset and so um that was my mindset that's the way that i approached the game i was so consistent in in my routine because so consistent in my diet so consistent in my film study and I knew, and I knew that this tenth year was everything that I looked for. You know, I looked for this moment since I was a kid, and nobody's going to mess this moment up. And so, you know, God willing, um, it was amazing. And you know, does that, does that, you know, when people do talk good about me, does that make me feel even better? No, it really doesn't, because I, I, I got to keep that chip on my shoulder to keep it going. You know what I mean? I got to keep that. I'm not satisfied with the pat on the back. The pat on the backs do nothing for me. Throughout my whole career, I've been told that I wasn't good enough. And so that's what I, that's what I'm going to approach the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. You said earlier this week that the Seahawks are yet to reach out. Obviously, that's hopefully going to be something that's corrected in the next few weeks. From, from the outside looking in, it just seems like a really unique position that you're currently in. Obviously, a free agent, you've put 10 years worth of, as you say, ring of honor, worthy one of the best players to ever put on the Seahawks uniform is that what it's like on the wheel as it were it's just like a really weird unique process you're going to be going through the next few weeks um yeah this is my second time going through it and um you know it's it's um you just the unknown is what's the most weird part about it Mm -hmm. like do the Seahawks even want me? Do other teams want me? Um, what are they going to offer? So it's just so much unknown. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a weird place to be in. Like, I know you guys see like, oh, this person signed for, you know, $50 million. You know, his life is good. But the moments leading up to that, you know, it's going to be a little, a little stressful. And so I'm doing my best to just, you know, control what I can control and just trust the process. And, you know, we, we'll, we'll see what's out there. Well, one of our friends, Gordon Wright, has your jersey. I think he wants to keep wearing his jersey just so he thinks he plays for the Seahawks with the same surname <laughs> as you as well. Um, outside, outside the lines, though, as you said, we've seen Cliff, I think DJ Fluka, Cam, Doug, Justin Britt. I think Sherm still is based. His family is in Seattle. What is it about the area that makes it so easy to set up generation, generationally, that's what yeah. you'd say. And is it going to be holding the same for you whenever you post the cleats over the telegraph pole like Marshawn did? Yeah, I mean, this place is special, man. I'm, I live up in the mountains and, you know, just have lakes and mountains and just different diversity and different foods. Like, I grew up in Mississippi. It's pretty, you know, black, white, and just 
you know, it's, it's pretty simple, just farmland. But this place, it has a whole new dynamic. Uh, Vancouver, Canada is right up the road. And so um, I love it here, man. I don't plan on, you know, I don't want to leave. I, I love here. My wife, she wants to go to Florida. So we may split, like, to have Florida, have Seattle. But um, this place is amazing. I plan on being here. Is there any indication of what free agency might be like in a COVID world? Because I feel sorry for you. You can't take all, make these teams take you out for the best dinner in the city and then say, ah, oh, no, sorry, I'm, I'm going back. Uh, <laughs> is, is there any indication of what it might be like? Well, you know, we, um, I guess I can ask a few guys because last year, you know, COVID had, had hit um, during free agency. And um, but I'm not sure what it would be like. I'm sure it would be Zoom calls and and phone calls and I believe right now you could possibly you know bring guys in the building just stay masked up but um yeah I have no idea we, we gotta wait and see what that looks like uh, so, I, I do believe they I do believe they would uh send you on a private jet though if they do bring <laughs> they better they, they better do it <laughs> be cool. I, I, I don't even don't even pick the phone up if they're not offering a private jet <laughs> I'm not an agent but that's the one don't even pick the phone up <laughs> exactly uh, so two and a half years ago the team made a trip over here you weren't on that trip I don't believe is that something that you mm-hmm. kind of had pangs about missing out on and that, or have you made the trip independently over here to UK yeah that, that trip definitely did hurt I was looking forward to that moment to you know go, go to the UK but um, no the only time I've been to London was when I was going to Africa I was going to Africa and I had a layover in, in London at, the, at that airport What's, what's that airport called again? It's Heathrow. Um, he, yeah, yeah. So that's the only time I've been there, but I definitely do plan on making like a trip all across the Europe one day. Well, it, you've a, got an open invite to all, all our shindigs over here whenever <laughs> time <seems. laughs> It's a, It's an interesting yeah. off-season in the sense that players seem to be much more confident about speaking out about their future. You know, Deshaun Watson uh, has probably been a bit of a trailblazer in the way in which he's he's spoken about you know his, his future in Texas. That can only be a good thing in the NFL for players to feel like they've got more of a, a voice. I was thinking about Josh Rosen today, who came out as the number 10 pick in the NFL, got given two horrendous situations in Arizona and Miami, and now kind of doesn't have a career. Um, as the years go on, do you envisage there's going to be more player power uh, that comes into that? Because it does feel like you guys don't get enough of a say in what happens with your career, and certainly in the in the formative years. Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe that, you know, our window is, show, is so short in the NFL, and you can't just sit back and just let it go to waste. And so, you know, for, the, you know, for him to just speak up and voice what he wants, because I hear that, you know, there's a lot of miscommunication where he was, and so – you know, the NBA, NBA does it. I believe the NBA has it figured out. And I believe that, you know, we can voice what we what we want. And I believe it's a beautiful thing. It's a player's league. Uh, you know, we, we put the people in the stands and, and, you know, people watch us on TV. And so we, we definitely do need more of a voice. Also, it, in Seattle, with obviously Pete Carroll's step um, above the onto the plinth really after all the uh, after George Floyd last summer, he kind of was the one NFL coach who come out and actually said his bit said his piece in Seattle that seems to be to a certain extent a more open approach to be able to have your voices closer yeah. we had Sherm we had who said some remarkably ridiculous things as he was making his name and then you got Marshall and he, he said one thing just before he retired and is, is, is Pete Carroll someone who can like aid that kind of conversation from the players obviously not 
in contract negotiations, I guess, or mm-hmm. uh, personnel decisions, maybe. But is that is, is the environment he curates helpful for that? Yeah, I believe that in any um, Coach Carroll is really good at creating that environment for us. He, he gives us that that freedom. He gives us that platform. And um, during the, this entire movement last year with um, George Floyd, with um, Jacob Blake we struggled personally as as black men in, in the United States. And he, he recognized that. And so he definitely created the floor for us and opened the floor for us to um, express ourselves. And just, it was personally therapeutic for me to just voice that and how I was feeling. And so, you know, I told him, you know, I'm forever grateful for his leadership as a coach because he didn't have to do that. And, but he, he always takes those moments and knows that those are bigger than football. Yeah. Did that change a lot in a, in a few years? Because I remember after the game in Tennessee, I think, which was just after Kaepernick started taking the knee and there was a lot of more social justice discussion and players were being encouraged to talk more. I think Pete made mention that the team may have been too emotional going into a game and that, that may have been a reason for losing. Have, have you seen that change in the three or four years that players have been supported to be much more outspoken and, and show your beliefs? Because, again, that only seems like it can be a good thing uh, for players to be able to express themselves properly. Yeah, because as, as NFL athletes, like, we're, we're the leaders, we're the voices in the, in the country. And so if we're not standing up for something, we're not voicing how we feel, then, then who will? And so there's a lot of young kids out there that's looking up to us, and, and there's like, you know, if, if, you know, Bobby Wagner doesn't say anything, then, then why should I? You know, I should be... I should just be quiet and just and just stay in my place. And so, we definitely have that responsibility, and that and that we got to be bigger than athletes. We have to use our voice, use our platform. And like my wife, for example, she she put on a, a march for the for the city of Seattle, mm-hmm. and it, and it was amazing just to continue to bring awareness to our struggle here in this country, so we can make things better. Yeah, Adam. No, I mean that, that it's just really interesting because the uh you know the the shut up and dribble and all that stuff that there's been such a horrible uh you know it's probably led by you know political leaders unfortunately but there's been such a horrible permeation of racism let's call it what it is from leaders into suppressing players because you're just an athlete so you should do this but presumably that's something that gets discussed in the locker room which is a hugely eclectic place with races religions colors whatever so having that confidence to stand up is that something you've grown into as you've gotten older and gone into it or you've seen that in the in the younger guys as well yeah i believe that is definitely i personally grew grew more into it because i was that guy that was i was worried about what would people say about me what would they think about me you know would the fans not like me but at the end of the day i'm going to be a black man for the rest of my life and so i can't worry about this football life you know i have i have children that i gotta say examples where i have you know nieces and nephews that are looking up to me and like KJ, what you know, you got to be the voice for the voiceless. And so I definitely had to grow in my own shell and grow comfortable and, and being that guy. And so each guy is different. Some guys come right out the gate, but some guys grow into you know, the person that they are you know, when they get older. Uh, so we got we got a few Patreon members who've thrown some questions your way, KJ. Just quickly go through it. Dave Sayers said, during the season, how much does KJ notice the praise and or criticism on social media? And how after all the, your time in the league, do you use it as fuel on Sundays? Well, during the season, I delete my Twitter. I get rid of Twitter. And because uh, Twitter is, it's, it's messy. It's very messy. So I delete my Twitter during the season. So I'm, I'm pretty zoned in. So I don't really hear the criticism. 
um, through the season. I had enough of it in the off season. <laughs> uh, Dan Cohen uh, asked, what was it like playing the heart of a defence that will, as you say, go down as one of the best in history? And did you realise the levels that you were hitting at the time? It's it's something that will it's a memory that'll last a lifetime, and we're we're forever brothers. You know, we yeah. always get together each off season, and um, I love all those guys tremendously. So that's that's like the best part of it is like you do it when you're younger, but you still boys when it's all said and done. And so um, I'm glad to be a part of it, and we're gonna have a thirty for thirty one day, and <laughs> I'll kick back and just reminisce on the good old days. I mean, that's it's something we've said on this podcast that us as fans really did not appreciate as it was unfolding. And then obviously we sit back and watch Richard Sherman play for the 49ers. You're like, oh yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Those five, six years mm-hmm. that they were all together. And Brogan asked, uh, Brogan Cusper asked the one-handed pick against the Vikings or the hit on Kyle Juszczyk. What was your favorite moment on the <laughs> ec- excellent season? In 2020? Oh, I got to pick one. Ooh. Or, or, or another one. I think he's open to... Nah, nah, those two were very fun. Um, <laughs> that's a hard one. I'm a, you you were talking with Yusek during that game. There was some there yeah, was some blood yeah, going yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah, because I personally know him and I face him so many times. I'm gonna have to go with 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 uh, Yusek. It was just the perfect bang bang play, and it was just clean and not just knocked his feet went up in the air and so yeah it don't get much better than that and also with no crowd we heard Bobby Bobby Wagner's uh yeah effervescent reaction to it as well <laughs> yeah. but, also, but also with the one the pick against the Vikings is that something again which would go back to tape study because obviously you read the play you were in a pr- pretty much perfect position to cut the underthrown Kirk Cousins pass but does that is that something that no. wants to go back to your film study in the week yeah, I knew that um, they were a play-action team. So I knew that my the other linebackers, it would kind of be difficult for them to see those passes coming back. So I knew that I had to help them out so that, you know, they wouldn't get explosive plays on us. And so I knew that was going to be coming. So you just play deep. And I thought I was going to throw it to the guy short, but he tried me and, you know, just went up and snagged it. I uh, always lament as a fan that I don't think I enjoyed – the periods of winning enough and I kept on looking ahead to well let's let's win it next year we've, we've done it this year this is great and but you know I was in Seattle for the parade it was the coldest day of all time and that was obviously yeah. a great day but yeah. do you feel as a player you got to enjoy that time as much and also you had 10 years in the NFL do you get to enjoy it enough when you're actually in it because you know you're cheating yeah. life yeah um you know, that's that's a really good question. I, I I feel like when I got injured, I started enjoying the game more. I started I started when I got back on the field, I started enjoying those moments because you never know when it's going to end. And so I started celebrating more, having fun, my teammates more. I stopped sweating the small stuff so much. Like when I would mess up, I didn't get so down on myself because, you know, one day this go all be I'll be over. And so I believe that when I had my knee injury in twenty eighteen. I approach the game way differently as far as let's savor these moments. Let's savor these moments. Let's just have fun and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, Adam, I've got, got one more. I'm, I'm interested in the fact that um, you, know, you often hear that millionaires should not be doing favors for billionaires, which I completely agree with when it comes to 
your guys' salary or whatever. Has there been any negative reaction in locker rooms at the fact that the salary cap is going to drop by 15 million this year? Because I feel like that's something that is a major thing. Like Jerry Jones can go to the bathroom and earn $15 million. <laughs> and it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right that it's coming out of your guys' pockets. And especially with you going into free agency, do, does that, has that caused any discussion or, or even friction across people? No, we, we understand like, you know, just, you know, they want to keep money in their pockets as well. And so we understand that COVID hit and there was no fans and, you know, the whole world changed. And so it is what it is. Hopefully uh, next season it goes back to where it should be. But we understand that this crisis that affected a lot of people. And so it, it'll be okay. Uh, Bobby Wagner, back end of the season, said that your relationship and partnership in that middle of the defense for so long has, has been and is special. Is, is, is that how you would describe the last... 10 years with number 54 yeah. so it's been special man just like i said the the off the field relationship makes the on field relationship that much better and so with me and bobby it's just amazing that we take it upon ourselves to to be those guys to be the example for everyone else and so we can communicate without even talking to each other we uh we know what's coming you know i know what he's thinking and we're we're always in sync and so it's just a beautiful thing to just have Coach Noren show us how it's done and we put it out there on the football field. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to let you go. I think because obviously you've done far enough more time than most people even probably. Uh, I think Adam got, normally checks out after 20 minutes. So we really do appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to chat with us. And we hope, as we said, we hope you are back in Seattle in, 20, in 2021 and 2022, 23 and 24. And we hope to be in the stadium when your name goes up in that ring of honor whenever that happens as well and we hope you get what you want what you deserve out the next few weeks as well but yeah massive massive thanks for jumping on the pod podcast with us and also on behalf of on behalf of all of the UK Seahawks fans and fans worldwide like thank you for what you've done for this team because uh as I say I don't think we realize how good we had it and uh you were a crucial part of that and uh it, it's a privilege to get to speak to you and you know you, you'll, you'll never you'll never get the thanks you deserve as much as you get you'll never get as much you deserve for what you did for uh, for a whole city and and a, a nation in what we have five thousand miles away and we, we still feel it no doubt man thank you guys man truly enjoyed also we need to find out where you got that jacket from as well so <laughs> <laughs> i got you I, i'll try to mail you one there you go <laughs> cheers kj all right fellas, thank you